Welcome back, everyone, to another awesome episode of the Biff Bites Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Jerry Mee, joined as always by my wonderful co-hosts. Uh, we have Mr. Brendan Flaherty. How you doing, Brendan? I'm good. How you doing? Good, good. Uh, Mr. Mike Long. How you doing, Mike? Hey, Jerry. I, I'm in between big deals. So, uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, so listen. So does that it, mean it, you're sitting between Jerry and I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if you ever ask me and I just say tween, that's yeah. what it means. Tween. Yeah. tween oh, okay. All right. <laughs> and last but not least, uh, the slightly less corny but still lovable Adam Shear. How are you doing, Adam? I'm doing great. And, uh, and don't test me. Don't test me. My daughters can attest. Don't yeah. test you. All right. Yeah. I can like, get kind of corny. Okay. Breaking out the breaking out the dad jokes. <laughs> That's right. All right. We're gonna have an entire segment on dad jokes later. <laughs> I can definitely win that. <laughs> I mean, everyone knows the funniest uh type of person is the punniest type of person. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Type of person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotta write that down. That tip. That's a life tip right there. <laughs> exactly. Well, Speaking of kids, I think that's kind of a perfect segue into kind of the first thing we wanted to talk about, uh, which is kind of adjusting to the new normal of, you know, being financial professionals in this new work from home lifestyle. What do you guys think? It's definitely been a change. Definitely. So something we we were talking about that we really wanted to kind of bring up on the show today is just that work life balance of, you know, being CFPs and adjusting to this new mindset, this new kind of common practice of doing these, you know, virtual client meetings at home. And for a lot of us, that means, you know, doing it at home while the kids are also at home. Uh, you know, I know, Mike, your kids are, uh, you know, grown up and out of the house, but Brendan and uh, Adam, both of you guys have uh, kids at home. Yep. Um, so let, let's, I want to hear from you guys, you know, what, what's it like having client meetings when, you know, you got the little ones running around in the background? Yeah, I could, uh, I could start, start here. Uh, one of, one of the uh, friends of the Biff guys, I was in a meeting with them recently. And, uh, you know, with this new norm, you get accustomed to your kids just wanting to poke their head in and put their face on the screen. And yeah. uh, I don't know what plan they were crafting uh, downstairs, but they both came in giggling. And uh, I kept on with the meeting as I always do, kept my cool. And uh, before I knew it, I had a hanger around my neck and they literally <laughs> just pulled me out of the screen. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, like talent uh, show, like little, yeah. like the little Bo Peep, uh, like Shepherd's Crook pulling <laughs> you, you the, off stage. You got the hook. <laughs> <laughs> Just awful, yeah. So, uh, well, what I learned from that uh, was to keep the door closed and, and locked if I'm in a business meeting. <laughs> um, but locked, also yeah. that that I think with this this new norm, uh, people are a lot more forgiving uh, than than they were. Uh, I, I mean, previously, if you worked remotely. Uh, you'd see in job descriptions, you know, you have to have a dedicated space. It's got to be quiet. We don't want any sounds of dogs or children. Um, you need to be able to be focused during the hours of nine to five, nine to six. Um, and I think with everyone working remotely now, uh, people are a little more understanding. So, uh, you know, if, if I get embarrassed in the process, it's fine. Uh, but my kids are around. My kids are actually in virtual school right now. My wife and I opted uh, to have them 
in school virtually. So they're home with the both of us. We're both working virtually. Uh, and I have a dog and I have a cat. So you've, you, you've chosen this. You've chosen I, this. this is I, your have. <laughs> I have. I <laughs> have. Um, yeah, that, that was that was our choice, uh, given given the two options we had. And, uh, you know, there's there's good and bad to it. Uh, just like with parenting, uh, we, we get to experience our, our kids learning by their side, you know, during this time. And I know in the past, my wife had been going into the kindergarten class and volunteering just to get a sense of what was happening in class, how how our daughter was doing. Uh, but we have you know, front seats for that. We've both flexed our schedules so that we have all school hours that, that they're engaged covered. And, uh, we somehow find a way to feed them and feed ourselves and get a little bit of sleep and, uh, to get our work done. So, uh, but it's a lot, and I'm sure a lot of, a lot of the listeners out there are experiencing similar challenges, just, uh, you know, the, the impossible task of, of, of trying to get everything done in a given day with, with everyone on board, uh, everyone at home. So that's, uh, I could talk about this for a really long time if you guys want to. <laughs> yeah. So, so what's interesting though, is I get to turn the tables now because my daughter, uh, n- not by our choice, this, the school system is, is just, is, is all virtual right now. So she's 11, she's in sixth grade and I, I can, I can, hear and feel the embarrassment of wave of embarrassment like coming over her anytime I get near her when she's in school (laughs) and so this morning this morning like so she's got she's sitting there with a Chromebook which is issued by the school and and she's got the 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 uh, camera pointed at her and but she sees me out of the corner of her eye and she immediately turns the Chromebook to face the couch (laughs) so that there's zero chance of me humiliating her and it's it is a new school so you know that that's I'm gonna that'll uh, be psychological yeah. so, warfare that I deploy for the rest of the year. I promise you that. <laughs> Sixth grade is yeah. the worst. Yeah. <laughs> so so Brendan, have you had any trouble with kind of client meetings or anything? It sounds like you're more of the terror for your daughter than the, your daughter being the terror for you. Yeah, you know. So so when when all of this first started occurring back in March, my um, my office had a positive uh, exposure. So one of the women in our office, her daughter, tested positive for the coronavirus. So they we got closed down for two weeks, um, and I want to say that was like the third and fourth week of March, um, and and it, which which coincided perfectly with the just the absolute bottom of the market. Um, and so I was doing a lot of client calls from home, and. Um, you know, when you add the stress of the background noise of the kids fighting over the computer and the dogs barking, you know, it, it, my 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 home life should have been like a commercial for Jack Daniels, you know, where you just it, it's this amazing <laughs> amount of background noise. But just a clip of Brendan's yeah, life, and it just says yeah, a little little like placard comes up, and it says it drives you to drink. Right. <laughs> one of those days, one and of those days. As I'm trying to talk my clients like back into the building, inside the other, you know, the right side of the window, you know, and it's just like everything's melting down. But to your point, uh, I, I think that that people have. They were very understanding and they just, you know, it, it, it certainly complicated the conversation just a little bit. Um, but I think that I was much more concerned and sensitive about it than, than uh, my clients were. And, and really since then, I've been, I've been working mostly from the office, but certainly trying to take the opportunity um, to work from home a little bit because it was nice. You know, I, the, the, the one silver lining, I guess, in all of this is that 
when everything was shut down, you just really got to spend, you know, really good quality time with no distractions, nowhere to be, nothing to do. And, you know, that was a nice little break for, you know, I think everyone's lives get, just get so chaotic now. Yeah, I think it's a good point both you guys brought up is that, you know, from the client's point of view, unless you just have just a really uptight client, and I think advisors know which of their clients are that one uptight client that they have, yep. they're they're pretty forgiving because it does happen to the best of us. Like, I think it was, this was before uh, quarantine, but I think it was like uh, CNBC or something like that. They had an analyst on. And he's uh, like giving this presentation on on live news. And then all of a sudden the door swings open and his like three year old comes in and starts like dancing behind yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you see the wife, the wife, like, yeah, the wife, like, crawl on her. She like, does like an like, army crawl to get the kid out of the room. Yeah, like but it's still all no on camera. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if this is happening to like a financial analyst on like closing bell, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, being seen by millions of people, uh, pe- people are pretty understanding. Because well, we know, can all connect to right we've all been there yeah yeah you know and i think that now now mike have you so so in 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 the amount of time that you've been uh working have is this the first time you've ever been forced to work from home or have you worked from home before this Uh, outside of unemployment um (laughs) yeah (laughs) just kidding um uh yeah i guess so but i've been i was a real trendsetter and i just didn't realize it um i I'm in my, like my fifteenth year of and, and working so from that, home. Do you, do you think that it's different right now? Does it feel different for you, or is this just kind of like the normal course of business? It feels like the normal course of business. Yeah. What what the only thing that's changed really is, um, like I used to head out immediately at five o'clock and hit golf balls or something, and yeah, uh, head out just, from the house. Head out from the house. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've been quarantined for almost 15 years. I did think it was weird though, that my, my sons reversed the locks on the house so that you needed a key (laughs) to get out out from the inside. (laughs) So I I don't know if this is related, but I got used to working from home. Yeah. Uh, Mike, I think we're going to start having some wellness checks on you. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the other thing that's been bizarre is is and it, it, this is starting to, I think, alleviate just a little bit. But, you know, so I work in it's not a huge city, but it's it's definitely a city with all the complications of that. Um, but driving into work in the morning, there's just just no one. There's just no one out there. And, and so that's that's a little eerie. And I think I've gotten used to that a bit. But, you know, it, it's that that's also been a kind of a weird affectation of this. Mm, true. Now. It seems like kind of a common theme is that uh, we all kind of just are now looking for excuses to get out of the house. Yeah. You know, when you work from home, it's almost like the place where you go to relax is not your workplace. And so now the place where you relax isn't relaxing anymore. Yeah. And so I know a lot of people are, are doing the quote unquote work from home, but still going somewhere else to do their work. Like I know, Adam, don't you do a lot of work from like your backyard when the weather's yeah, nice? Absolutely. Um, that's one of the things that I learned uh, earlier on, because I've, I've I was working remotely for two years prior or two and a half years prior to the pandemic. Um, and one of the ways that, that I learned I work well was just changing scenery every few hours, uh, getting up and going for a walk here and there. But yeah, you guys see me often on our video calls. I'm out in the backyard when it's, when the weather's nice. Uh, adds, it adds just a little variety to it. Now does it feel different for you? Um, 
it it does actually because well i mean by choice my my daughters would one was in preschool the other one oh, was yeah, in yeah, elementary school yeah, yeah. um so i had I, I knew that i had these longer stretches of fully dedicated work time silence you know i could just be focused for that stretch and i think the the pattern of my work now is much more in very s- smaller uh, more concentrated pockets of focused work and then when they get to bed I'll do some work I I am I'm an early riser so I, I'll often wake up early and get some work done at the front of the day and then it's just you know checkered throughout the day I have to be with them for a moment back on the work for an hour um, so it, it's a lot it's a lot to juggle so it, it definitely feels different now one thing a lot of advisors are doing, and it's kind of the, an allure of the work from home advisor, the virtual advisor, is you know going to coffee shops or you know we've heard from a few advisors they go to their uh, their local pub and they set up in the corner of their local pub and do uh, you know meetings all day. What about kind of like security issues? Because when we bring our work out into public, doesn't that kind of open us up to a whole new risk that I'm sure our firms probably uh, aren't too happy about? Well, I know I'm conservative enough that I, I would probably never have the guts to to try that. Regardless of the number of safeguards I had on my, my uh, notebook, I'd probably still think, no, there's somebody that can tap in here while I'm sitting in the coffee shop. Um but I'm older and probably more conservative than than uh, than most advisors. So you know, I don't know. How do you other guys feel about that? Well, you know, sitting in the pub all day doing your work, the the promises and the guarantees by the end of the day probably get pretty robust, right? So, <laughs> so. Of course I can double your portfolio yeah. by the end of the year. It's a sure yeah. thing. Yeah. It's a sure thing. So. But don't shh, shh, shh. Yeah, I, I agree with Mike. I don't, I don't think I could do it. You know, I just think that... And I, 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 I would not so much because I, I think like, you know, the boogeyman's out there trying to like capture what I'm doing, but it would just, if, if, if I, I just don't know how my clients would feel about it, you know, with, and I sure. think it just, it's, there's this expectation of security that I can't guarantee that I'm giving there. And, um, you know, so I, I just would feel, I, I it wouldn't feel comfortable for me that if my, if my clients found out about it, I just, I, I don't know if I'd have a good answer for that. Yeah. I mean, from the client perspective, I don't know how I would feel if I'm just like bearing my entire financial life to someone and I just see like a bunch of uh, hipsters walking around in the background <laughs> right. with a, with lattes. I'm like, should I, should I be telling you my social security number yeah. right now? Like it's, it's <laughs> kind of circling you. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's even even before. Um, so even before the, I mean, the 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 coronavirus, I mean, a, a pretty common thing to do is meet a client for a drink to just kind of discuss things, you know, maybe go over things. But you try to find a, a place that's that's relatively quiet. And, and um, uh, so I, I think that that's that's certainly fine. But but to just sit there all day um, and, and, and work, I just I, I don't know. I, I just don't know if it would be the right environment for me. When on on those client meetings, Brendan, uh, when they were in person, were you aware of just not getting into too much detail into their personal issues, you know, financial issues? No, I mean, I I think that, that, um, no, I mean, it would be a normal meeting. I I think that, you know, one of the benefits that you have of of having that conversation in, in, um, you know, a restaurant or or at a table in a bar that's just a little less disarming than, or a little more disarming, I guess I should say, 
uh, than coming into like a stuffy financial office. So I think it it made people a little bit more comfortable. Most Some clients won't ever do it, right? But some clients are very comfortable with it. And it's just like the part of any other relationship where you kind of understand uh, where those lines are with people. And uh, But I would have, I, I mean, I've had some pretty significant and, and uh, personal conversations um, with clients in, in, you know, at a table in a bar, not necessarily at the bar, but um, at a table off to the side for sure. Sure. Now, and clients, I think, are more and more are warming up to the fact that you're not face to face. You're maybe not at the coffee shop or the bar uh, when you're dealing with them. But it seems to serve to relax a lot of people, too, that you're in your office, you're talking to them, they're in their home, and they just seem more relaxed quite often. Have you guys experienced that? Yeah. And so what's what's interesting is that there's – I mean, again, I've been doing this for uh, 17 years now. Um, there's there's clients that I've had for you know well over 10 years, 15 years that I've never met face-to-face. Everything that we've ever done has always been over the phone, but now they're asking for Zoom meetings. You know, so it's like, well, for the last twelve years, you've never wanted to see my face. <laughs> Why all of a sudden are we doing this now? And yeah, so it's just, it's, it's, yeah. Well, Zoom's just become like this thing. It's just, it's become like this is how we do business now. So people who who literally never dealt with me in any capacity other than a phone call um, are now looking for WebExes and Zooms. Kind of one thing we, we really wanted to focus on that we've talked about outside the podcast is just, um, you know, really talking about how to be the best certified financial planner that you can be. You know, do you feel that uh, virtual meetings are a tool that should be in every CFP's toolkit? You know, is, is this the future of financial planning? What do you guys think? I do. I, I and, and I'm you know, on the back quarter of, of, of my career at, of 40 years, but. I, I love to think about how different things would have been had all this been available, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago when I first started and how much more productive I could be by having virtual meetings when it really wasn't of any significance to be face to face. And so, yeah, I, I, I think it is the future. And it, it's funny because the technology was there. Like, I remember they were talking about Skype when I was in high school, you know, and we definitely had the ability to have this kind of lifestyle with clients well before COVID came along. It just seems like COVID was kind of the kick in the butt everyone needed to kind of adopt this uh, this kind of virtual meeting, uh, you know, culture. Yeah. And I think what we're going to see is that just from people becoming more familiar with the technology and more comfortable using it day to day. I, I could see there just being an expectation that, yeah, why do, why do I need to, why do I need to go, you know, take a half hour drive, sit in a little traffic. Uh, if we could do it virtually, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. I mean, I have, I have a telehealth meeting uh, with, with a specialist on Monday and I never would have done that prior to the, the pandemic. Yeah, that's, I, I would always yep, think you got to go to the office. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, f- I feel Brendan's going to play devil's advocate here. He looks like he has a, uh, a contrary. No, no. Opinion. I mean, I, 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 I like my bricks. <laughs> I've got a 5,000 pound desk here, dude. It, it, that, that's exactly, well, that's, that's, there's a lot of 5,000 pound leases out there, I think, for a lot of these companies. But, um, you know, I, I think that there are definitely some co- clients who are very comfortable with those virtual meetings. Um, but I, I do think that there's 
there's something to be said for for being across the table from one another. Um, and so I think that you're going to have, again, I, I'm going to have some clients that just, just like anything else, they don't ever want to talk to me unless there's an issue. Um, and then there's others that really want to be on the phone with me on a daily basis. And, and I think it's going to be the same thing with face-to-face versus virtual. You know, and I think it's a little, it, it probably is similar to the doctor because I think most people, if given the choice between having to go into the doctor or see the doctor via their computer, I think most people would say it's a lot more comfortable and a lot less invasive to do it over the computer. And I, I think with with um, financial advisors, I think it's similar. You know, it's just it's just easier. It's it's it makes it's one less obstacle. It's something that people feel like that they should do, but it's really easy for them to put off. So they don't want to get organized. I don't want to hear bad news. Uh, and, and so this might, you know, take away some of those obstacles for, for the advisor-client relationship. Yeah, I definitely think it's going to be a uh, new frontier in the financial advising profession. Um, we've already seen a couple companies come about that try and make the virtual advisor uh, reality easier and, you know, give them the technology. I forget forget the name of it, uh, but I was looking into a couple of these different companies because uh, me and a couple friends are actually – spitballing ideas uh, for a startup of, you know, how to connect CFPs and how to make virtual advising, uh, you know, a reality. And I was shocked to see that a bunch of people have already kind of started down that path. Um, You know, there's a lot of companies that are starting up now. Uh, There's things like Betterment and, um, you know, others that are just trying to make it easier for the younger generation to get involved with investing. And the next progression, once you get them to open their first investment account, is to, you know, pair them up with their first financial advisor. Yeah. And I I think that, um, you know, it's going to be something that that at at some point the regulators are going to have to address. Because I don't think the current rules necessarily allow for this scenario to play out long term. So, and I, I agree that this is definitely here to stay in some form and fashion, um, and, and and to the better. I think it's to, to, to Mike's point, it, it's it's easier, it's more productive. There's no driving time. There's just there's none of the nonsense. So if we can get down to brass tacks right away via a, 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 a Zoom or whatever. Um, that's an improvement for the relationship, but the regulations need to kind of be altered to allow for that. Yeah, we were we were talking about that a couple of days ago. You know, if you're an office manager, but all of your advisors that are working under you are all working from home, like, do you need a Series Ten to still oversee them? Like, probably, but they're still under what's called your OSJ, your your, your Office of Supervisory Jurisdiction, and yeah. um, you know, and that that's one of the issues is is Technically, um, the advisors aren't really supposed to be printing materials at home. And, and so unless that is registered as a branch of convenience, so there's all these nuances in the rules uh, that don't really allow for. Obviously, we have no choice with this, but I, I think it's something that needs to be uh, addressed to move, moving forward because I, I do think that there's going to be some advisors that just don't ever come back to the office. Yeah, yeah. it's uh... – Definitely going to be a compliance headache, that's for sure. Well, how about um, the idea of documentation? So we're in a Zoom meeting right now, and we're recording. Uh, yep. Would something like this serve as adequate documentation of a client meeting if you just record a Zoom meeting? Um, you know, from a from a regulatory, yeah, it's a good question. I think from a regulatory capacity, I, I think it would. Um, I don't think that there's any inside counsel on the planet that would say we want every word of that conversation admissible. 
right? So, so because <laughs> sure. I, I think that um, you know, but most like I know at, at GNE Montgomery Scott, um, there there's that Dragon software that kind of takes dictation for you uh, and dumps it, but the notes still have to go into the to the client relationship management software because um, that's where all of the tracking for compliance issues goes. Uh, that's where the management team kind of reviews what's going on for for the client advisor relationship. So I, th- I still think that, um, and just from a from a storage capacity, like these files end up being huge. Um, oh, of course, you know, so so you know, firms would have to have server farms to accommodate it. Yeah, well, I was thinking in some ways it's easier because I remember all the financial offices I used to work at. We had an entire room full of client files, yeah. with just rows and rows of you know pull out drawers full of manila folders and each manila folder is a different client and those are a nightmare to go through and i would always think man we're working in the past it would be so nice if this was all digital and, and it, but it's definitely trending that way right so 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 most yeah. of the things that we do now are paperless or or the 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 paper is scanned in and and then uh, shredded but there are still certain things that need to be original, and so, but it's it's the, the there's far less that needs to be original now than there was even like five years ago. Yeah, but it seems like now we're going even so far because now if uh, if you're recording all of your uh, meetings, they're going to be video files. Video files tend to get very large very quickly, yeah. especially if you're having like a two hour long meeting, uh, and if you're doing that multiple times a day every day. Yeah, exactly right, Brendan. You're talking about now firms are going to have to get their own server farms just to hold their <laughs> client financial records, which they're probably going to have the same requirements. They have to hold on to them for seven years. Yep. You know, all this other stuff. Yep. I could see growth in the in the transcript apps. Yeah. That 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 recorded meeting uh, has a transcript, and maybe that that's what goes into the file. But then I was thinking too about the the meetings. At what point where you have firms taking some of these recordings and using them as training tools. Uh, you know, now watch, watch the body language here. Or what, yeah. I remember we used to do that when I was at Fidelity. Part of our training was uh, all their phone calls are recorded. And we literally just had entire training classes where we sat there with headphones and we listened to recording of client meetings. And it's like, you know, here's how you have a, a good client meeting. And here's an example of a terrible client meeting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the recordings, if it were video recorded, you've got all kinds of body language and all that stuff. So that could be a compliance issue as well, as far as confidentiality yeah. and it's stay tuned, uh, but it's going yeah, to continue and- to move fast. Well, and, and so is the so the regulations, you know, with Reg BI coming in. I mean, there's there's more onus to, to kind of, you know, have that have that uh, that client's uh, best interest at heart. And, and so, um, you know, I, I think there may be there be I would love if every conversation I had was recorded because then then there's no, you know, the, the conversation is what it is. There's no interpretation of it. Yeah, I, I uh, am playing around with it just so I'll remember smart things I said. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what, what did I say? What was that I Ooh, said the other day? That's quotable. That's quotable. That's going in the quarterly newsletter. That's gold. That's gold. Yeah. Did you get that, Fireflies? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now, so, so, have either you, Jerry, or Adam, have you guys uh, had? I'm, I'm assuming you work with financial advisors. Right. So so have you had a, a, a virtual meeting with a financial advisor or your financial planner? I manage my own finances. I know that's not the recommended, you yeah. know, doctors aren't supposed to operate on themselves. Right. <laughs> financial advisors should always get a second set of eyes. But uh, I, I don't listen to my own advice sometimes. Yeah. So yeah. I, uh, I, I manage all my own stuff. But I have I have done meetings 
um, doing, you know, financial plans for individuals. Um, and it has been done virtually. And honestly, it, it was it was great. It was super convenient. They felt comfortable. I mean, my demographic is kind of the millennial since I'm I'm part of the millennial generation myself. Um, and it's honestly, it's what they want. Like millennials just don't want to come into a stuffy office. They don't want to, you know, I had, I had a client when I had a meeting, it was the zoom meeting and they asked me if they were supposed to dress up for our meeting. And I'm like, no, <laughs> don't, don't even worry about it. <laughs> wear, wear a t-shirt and jeans. You're fine. But please wear a but, mask. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, they, it, it, it feels like it's what the younger generation wants out of their financial it, advice. Like, honestly, if they could, they would probably prefer to just do it entirely over text message. Yeah, but uh, that's not really realistic. Yeah. And I wonder if that'll change over time. You know, I, I wonder if 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 the millennial generation will actually stick. Cause, so so I'm, I'm 45, but I have a my younger brother is 29. Um, and he's he's very much, you know, the epitome of, of that, where he, he doesn't want to really talk to anybody face to face and doesn't even want to talk on the phone. Um, and, and so, but I, I just, I, I can't imagine that 20 years from now, that'll be the same, right? I, I just, I would, I would imagine that will alter as time goes on. Well, I, I don't necessarily think so. Really? I, I think it's it's in the way we came up and the way we grew up. You know, this generation grew up socializing online. You know, we all remember uh, AIM, yeah. uh, AOL's Instant Messenger. Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, yeah. Like, f- for a lot of us, a lot of the millennial generation, you know, that's where our socializing took place. And that was kind of our first introduction to you know, digital socialization. And I think because we grew up with digital socialization, you know, we're much more comfortable having that, uh, you know, digital interaction. It's almost something that we prefer because I know I have a few friends who it's like, yeah, I'd like to speak to a financial advisor, but I get, you know, I'm anxious. Like, I don't know what to say. I freeze up, you know, people have different things, but people go to the doctors and they're like, I really want to talk to him about this. And then the doctor says, Hey, is how's everything going? Like, yep, everything's fine. Everything's fine. (laughs) Yeah. That's right up until they hit the doorknob. Right. Then, then they say, Oh, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, by the way, snap on the glove. Yeah. 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 So I I think they're just they're they're a bit more comfortable uh, doing it virtually. I don't know. I mean, you can make whatever comment you want about, you know, the psyche and we're getting soft and all this other stuff. You know, we've all seen the uh, the articles about millennials are ruining everything. But I do just think it's a preference and I don't necessarily think it's something that will grow out of. Well, that's interesting. I, I yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I would be considered Generation X, and um, I think we're we're kind of like a happy medium between the two. We do a lot of things personally and socially, um, but certainly there's things that we do, you know, without actually being in, in each other's presence. Yeah, I have both elements of both at at this time where I do things, I handle some things on my own, but but I still have an advisor. Um, on some things that I would rather not uh, try to research or choose, you know, particularly like individual securities. Um, I just, I just don't have the interest to do deep research and things. And, and he's helpful that way. We have not met virtually. We're still on the phone. Okay. Um, And he's, he's younger than I am. Um, But we've not, you know, we've not had a, a, zoom meeting or anything of that but it's you know and so, we've been in contact so so he's younger than you. Do, you do you know how much younger he is oh probably uh 20 years maybe your age 
Okay, so and that that but that's what you want, right? Because when you enter retirement, what you don't want is to have your your advisor retire too, right? Because oh then, yeah, then I want my advisor, yeah, to live longer than I do for right. sure. Well, not necessarily that, but at least work long enough so that you're, <laughs> you're out of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I don't want to have too much life left at the end of my money for sure. Yeah, that, that's right. Yep, that happens. That happens. Um, I just wonder with the millennial generation, you know, so many solutions uh this kind of do-it-yourself uh spirit uh to what does that mean i mean already you see you know the big rise of the robos right the robo advisors and the you know invest yourself type of platforms and i know even on some of these platforms uh i was just following a a financial planner and uh someone that researches uh just the psychology of investing and he's pointing out that there's this, all this terrible financial advice that's happening on TikTok. Um, oh, so I just wonder, oh my God, <laughs> what like yeah. what, what what's going on, and and what will their expectation be? You know what what's going to be the solution? I mean, are are we going to have to adapt as advisors and compete with that? Yeah, I mean, autocorrect. <laughs> Yeah, right. Well, autocorrect <laughs> advising. Yeah. Yeah. What, one uh one of the biggest things I I saw was uh, uh on Reddit, Wall Street Bets is the most popular investment uh thread. It's like one of the most popular investment uh websites is Wall Street Bets on Reddit, and the entire thread is dedicated to making fun of the market and giving troll advice and giving fake advice and it's gotten to the point where they have so many followers that are actually causing swings in the market and different hedge funds are setting up algorithms that skim the posts in Wall Street bets and it's causing these like massive swings like uh with Hertz Hertz declared yeah. bankruptcy Wall Street bets turned it into a meme and Hertz went up in price after declaring bankruptcy because all of these you know, individual investors were "quote unquote" memeing and buying the stock. It went up hundreds of percent, hundreds of percent. Yeah, hundreds of percent. Like, and it, it just absolutely absurd. To the point, to the point where they got... tried, they tried to do a secondary offering of their stock from bankruptcy court. I mean, <laughs> <Yes>. Seriously, <laughs> like that's that's not the onion. That's like for real. Wow. Yeah, and like, and this is millennial culture. It's like right. it's it's this. It's almost like the world is so messed up and all, all we see is these things going wrong. So we millennials just have this like attitude of, well, nothing matters. So let's at least have a good time while we're here. And they just they make some really irrational moves that have real life consequences. Oh, yeah. And, 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 and just, the, just, um... just to, to further that thought, that's just another sign that the apocalypse is upon us <laughs> is that the judge allowed it. Oh yeah, they petitioned God. to do the, like a hundred million dollars worth of stock from in a secondary offering, and it was a, they didn't end up doing it, but it was allowed. I think the SEC actually squashed it, um, but it's nuts. It's it literally is nuts. So I'm sorry, Adam, I cut you off. Oh yeah, the the um, the the TikTok post that I saw as an example of some of the poor advice. It was about retirement planning and uh, pros and cons on either side of a whiteboard. And and this younger advisor, I believe, or or salesperson, trying to sell the idea that for retirement purposes, uh, the Roth IRA is is just nowhere near as good as having uh, universal life insurance with cash value, and that that's going to really uh. get you what you need. 
uh, when you hit retirement. <sighs> and that stuff, I mean, it got a ton of views. And uh, I mean, luckily, the, the financial planner police came in and were like, this is just bunk. <laughs> this is garbage. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, but people are seeing this and, and, and people are treating that as as advice. And and people are making you know, money off of that advice. I know it's you, been going on for a you while. Could almost, but... You could almost draw the comparison of, of that that uh, CNBC and some of the personalities on CNBC predicated all of this, right? Because they, 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 it's oh, the yeah. same thing. They're giving advice kind of in a vacuum. And there's the day to day, it changes. There's no benchmark to measure the success or failure of that advice over time. Um, and, you know, they, 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 there's just so much, you know, assumed authority on, on the information by because they're on TV. Um, it, it's Kramer culture. You yeah. know, Kramer was on TV and he kind of set the uh, the mold for it. And now people are taking it to TikTok and Reddit and also, same with the same vein of like Twitter. Twitter advice is also another source of just like completely unvetted, sometimes terrible advice. But you get. You know, they look back in twenty hindsight's twenty twenty. They make thirty recommendations. One of them pays off, and then they, you know, recycle that. It's like, hey, look how right we were on this. This means all our next ones are going to be right too. Yeah, you know, so it's just confirmation bias at that point. But yeah, it's just, it's just, it's entertainment more than actual advice is what it comes down to. And it's across all platforms. It's not really just the social media. I mean, all of each of us reads a lot. Um, and you pull up these articles or Google some topic, maybe you got to ask a question. So you start reading all these articles. It's amazing how often you find in there's like, well, that's just wrong. It doesn't work that way. That's not how that tax piece works or whatever it is. It's just everywhere. Oh. And there's no vetting. I, you think I, there yeah. would be vetting on the articles and, and, uh, some senior editor that, that actually knows the stuff, but sometimes it's like, that is so wrong. I have students send me articles like saying, hey, your textbook is wrong. I found this blog yeah, that was yeah, published yeah, yeah. in like yeah. 2015 mm-hmm. that says the opposite. I'm like, okay, but I'm going to tell you the textbook is right. And this like self-published blog on MySpace is wrong. Yeah. yeah. So but think that layer that in, layer that in. We're talking about working from home. We're talking about clients at home. With access to all of this, and and more time and in their hands than they many of them ever are, had before. That's right. That's yeah. right. Many of them and more are, money because are, the stimulus checks, right? So there's yeah. there's like this perfect storm of these things coming together where you got people who maybe never had money to invest before, or who would be betting on on sports, who are now they don't have the sports to bet on. They're having some money oh, come in, yeah. It, yeah. right? And boom, now I can gamble on the stock market. And here's how I do it. I found this TikTok. I, yeah, I was I was reading that uh, it's at the highest percentage, both as percentage of the population and also percentage of just money on the market. More of it is in the hands of individual investors than ever before, rather than traditional, you know, like hedge funds, hedge funds and mutual fund managers. Now it's the higher percentage. It's still not the majority, but it's still it's it's the highest percentage it's ever been in human history. And it's only going up of money in the hands of individual investors. Wow. You know, making these decisions that are maybe not necessarily necessarily the best decisions also known historically as the weak hands right? yeah <laughs> so the weak hands in the market yep uh but going back to mike's point layering it in i think it's true mike i think we're seeing now what doctors had during the uh birth of the internet when webmd came yeah. out 
and uh, all these doctors were reporting like a huge spike in hypochondriacs and you know self-diagnosis <laughs> yeah. based off of uh reading symptoms online and they come in the doctors freaking out the doctors like no you stubbed your toe you're fine yeah. you know now i feel i feel we're having this in the financial industry which doctors went through in the early 2000s with the birth of the internet that is such a good point yeah i had a doctor tell me that the web md was the best thing that ever happened to his career you know, he's like, <laughs> oh yeah you, you no. get a headache and you come see me for for some deadly disease that you found that you know a symptom oh, yeah. of a headache yeah yeah it's like i look i look up literally any symptom and apparently yeah. i have cancer <laughs> like, yeah yeah i recently had a a doctor tell me you're probably better off just laying off the WebMD for now. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Just just let us let us do the work. You know that's that's what you're paying us for. Because <laughs> even if the information on WebMD is 100 percent accurate and and, and uh, medically sound, I don't have the brain or the training to interpret it correctly. You know, so it's going to lead me yeah. down these paths of, and then of course you're going to start letting your behavioral come in because. I'm going to go find the things that are killing me as opposed to like starting to discount the things that are killing me. Um, and so, yeah, it creates this this like psychological factor as well. Yeah. And, but therein lies the opportunity for the advisor, I think, just like the doctor who said WebMD was the best thing that ever happened to me to my practice. I think there's opportunity for top shelf financial advisors because of all of this noise and all of this bad information, misinformation. You get a client. And you prove yourself uh, that you're top shelf and you, you you work under a fiduciary capacity, let's say. And I don't think they're leaving. I don't think they're leaving when you can show them how wrong so much of this stuff is. I think you've got them like as a life client at that point. I agree. And I actually think yeah. it could be a, a tool, uh, a behavioral tool. So let's take e-money, for example, right? It, you, can account, you could take all these accounts, you can aggregate them to one place. Clients now have instant access if you upload an app on your phone to see performance of their accounts and and the underlying investments kind of day to day um you can with with a quarterly performance statement you could say hey let's let's take the static out day to day you don't have to we're on the right course and here here's where we're headed you know or here's where we need to make corrections uh but i'd see that when i when i was a, a junior advisor all the time that some clients were logging in eight times a day uh, and and were in touch way more frequently because they had that instant access to here's how my accounts are performing all together right now, and and something moves in the market and there's the phone call or there's there's the email, uh, but there is the opportunity I think to work with clients and to to just tell them here's our philosophy and and here's how we're gonna we're gonna validate that and and this is this is how this is how we're gonna do this thoughtfully and. Uh, you know, under the care of, of someone that that really knows this stuff, not 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 your interpretation of WebMD. The, the issue that we have uh, that I've had in in, in my practice, and, and I, I can't imagine that it's unique to me, is, is that the tendency for clients is that they'll always use as their reference point the highest level that they ever saw their investments were. Right, so it's not like well, we started the year at this and we're up ten percent. It's that we it's, were it's, up twenty percent. It's also like intraday. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like it's, intraday. It was. Uh, and that's that's <laughs> definitely know. that's a challenging conversation because it's just you know listen, the, the plan says we need to go from point A to point Z. You're worried about point W to point you know X in, in or whatever the letter comes after W. That's not. 
<laughs> I am an academic. You got it. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, but so, so when like, when life when life gives you melons, you might have dyslexia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it it, it just it, it creates this this phenomenon where they almost have access to too much information. Yeah, True. I agree totally. <laughs> I was reading this study that showed um, traders who had access to live updating quotes compared to traders who had quotes that updated every 10 minutes uh, were far more likely to trade and trade more often and more frequently when they had live quotes compared to delayed quotes because you get this fear of missing out where, oh, it's up a penny, it's down a penny. Oh, it's down 10 cents. Now's the time to buy. Uh, and if you think about it, you know, at the turn of the century, we are getting quotes on stocks, you know, once a day in the newspaper or maybe even once a week if, you know, the Sunday Times and you would see the stock quotes. And now we just have this instantaneous, uh, you know, response from the market. It's really changing the psychology of how we trade. Yeah, that's that's definitely, you know, you get. And, and so there's a great book uh, that I, I talk to my students, both undergraduate students and, and the people in, the, in our CFP program. The, uh, the Psychology of Investing with, uh, by John Knopfsinger. And there's a number of examples of how that, that access to information leads to overconfidence, which leads to behavior where you, you feel like you have to do more. Uh, and you feel like you're right about every step that you're, you're taking. Uh, and and it, it leads to typically bad outcomes. All right, guys, uh, we decided to move question of the episode to the end of the episode since it flows a little bit better. You guys ready to kind of sink our teeth into our uh, conundrum today? Yes. Yes, sir. Awesome. All right. We got we got a good one because after all, guys, it's it's back to school time. And with back to school for our college students, that means tuition bills are come due. So we got a nice uh, how do you pay for college type uh, question. Uh, how do you guys feel about coordination rules? They're a little scary, aren't they? <laughs> Just a little bit. And I really like this question because this is something that's really important, not only for people sitting for the CFP exam, but this is a really good thing for all CFPs who are currently practicing to keep in mind, too, because I feel this is something that a lot of people overlook. And for the people that overlook it in the wrong way, it can really screw up a client's day. So you yeah. want to make sure you get this right. And, and education planning is one of the biggest things I, I think most people do in their practice. It's something that you touch on with almost every single client, whether they it's for their kids or their grandkids or, or you know, it, the college planning is, is something you, you, you touch yep. every day. Right up there with retirement planning. I yep. agree. Yep. Both of those are pretty universal at this yep. point. Yep. So this is something great for our uh, students sitting for the exam. And also, if you already have your marks, uh, this is a good thing to keep in mind. So a, a couple with an MAGI of $90,000 wants to know which combination of techniques can be used to pay annual education costs for their daughter in her first year of college. Option A, the American Opportunity Credit a $20,000 tuition gift from the grandparents, and a Pell Grant. Option B, a Coverdale distribution, a $20,000 tuition gift from the grandparent, and an American Opportunity Credit. Option C, a Lifetime Learning Credit, a Coverdale distribution, and a UTMA distribution. Or option D, American Opportunity Credit, $20,000 gift from the grandparent and a UTMA account distribution. So lots going on in this uh, question, guys. Let's kind of break it down first. 
Uh, I feel these are kind of uh, two categories. One is tax credits and one is college uh, funding accounts. Um, so we got the AOC and the lifetime learning credit uh, and the Pell, uh, Pell Grant, I guess, will kind of fall under that, but it's it's not really a, a tax credit. Uh, let's just talk about those three just off the bat. Sure. Yeah, yeah let's I'd hear see. from our parents first. Yeah, uh, Adam and, and <laughs> yeah, Brendan, go. I'll go for it. My, my, um, my kids are going to school on scholarship, so I don't have to worry about any of this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you say that now I in sixth grade. <laughs> I keep telling I myself I saw that, that on TikTok. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> the best way to retire is to win the lottery. Yeah. <laughs> this has been your TikTok advice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, what I would, what I would say is... Uh, and I don't think it's going to be the case with this with this scenario, but when we're looking at the credits from the credit side, um, the the American Opportunity Credit and Lifetime Learning, uh, they they get quite nuanced just as standalone tax credits. And one thing that's going to help me to possibly narrow down choices is knowing that when we're talking about one person, so in this case they're talking about their daughter, uh, one daughter that you're going to either go with one or the other if it's available. Uh, so you can either go uh, American Opportunity Credit or you can go with the Lifetime Learning Credit. Uh, American Opportunity Credit you know, has some parameters. It's going to be only for four years of undergrad. Uh, here we can verify that she's in her first year of college, so that seems okay. Uh, they, they both have AGI phase-outs. Uh, they're meant to help people you know, lower middle income. Uh, with a little bit of a, a tax credit for sending their kid off to college or kids off to college. Uh, same thing with the LLC. Uh, that's going to be one, you can qualify with using that once per return, uh, but you can't use both for the same, the same child. So just looking through the options here, I don't see any where we're, we're trying to use both for that daughter. Uh, and I know that doesn't help us to narrow down choices here, but it's an important point just when you're when you're starting to look at the scenario. Uh, keep an eye on the AGI, see who's involved. Are we talking two children? Are we talking one child? Um, and start to narrow down those choices. Yeah. Yeah. That That's an important distinction, Adam. So you can't double up on the AOC and the LLC, the American Opportunity Credit and the Lifetime Learning Credit. And like you said, AOC is for each child. So if the clients have multiple children going to college in the, at the same time, the AOC tends to be better. Whereas the LLC uh, lifetime learning credit is for the family as a whole. So that tends to favor single family households. Correct. And we're even talking about different credit amounts. Uh, American opportunity credit uh, can go up to 2,500 in a given year when maxed out. And a portion of that's going to be refundable. So if, if you zero out your tax return, you can actually get uh, a refund back if, if it's set up right and you execute that strategy correctly. Uh, with the LLC, uh, you can get up to 2000 Uh LLC, uh, 20%, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah 20% yeah, of 10. 20% of 10. And that, yeah. that's an important point, too, of how many dollars of qualified education expenses does it take to max out? And this is where AOTC uh, wins again. It only takes $4,000 of expenses to max out AOTC at, at, at uh, $2,500. Whereas to, to take advantage of LLC, you need $10,000 in eligible expenses to get a $2,000 tax credit. So I just think 
by default, that's the first place you check is could we do uh, American Opportunity Credit here? And it's your choice. So on your, on the tax return, it's your choice. If you choose the wrong one, no one's going to correct it, right? So you could cost right. yourself 500 bucks right off the bat. Yep. So it's definitely case by case. Uh, there's, you know, rules of thumb with those two credits, but it does depend on, you know, how much of a tuition bill is come due, whether you have one kid or multiple kids, lots of factors. You really have to take it on a client by client basis. Uh, but for our students sitting for the exam, uh, your rule of thumb is you can't double up on them. If any answer has both, you can just cross it off the list. It's not allowed. Right. Well, and I think to extend that th th that planner application and being a better uh, a financial advisor to understand the other sources as well, uh, because sometimes the real life situation is in what order should we liquidate some things? Well, yep. In what order should we use uh, you know, one, two, three, four, what should we do first? So we have to be, we have to be knowledgeable about uh, the tax treatment, uh, any penalties that might apply here or there, whether we would be looking at ordinary income tax to pull money out, or do we have something that's long-term capital gain? It really is a holistic perspective. And then these specific education things can play a role uh, as well. And the, the, on top of that, Mike, it, it, some of the some of the assets are, are more punitive on the FAFSA form, right? So it, it makes sense to, 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 to be sure that you're liquidating intelligently oh, yeah. uh, so that you don't hinder yourself in, in years three, uh, two through four in the college. Yeah. Adam's the king of FAFSA. I mean, he, he, he knows that stuff and that's absolutely correct what you're saying. Adam, what do you think? Yeah, uh, without a doubt, uh, it's it's not only the assets that are held either by the the parent or by the child that have different weighting in figuring out what that expected family contribution is going to be for college, uh, which just directly impacts financial aid. Uh, but on the distribution side, you know, you might think it's great that grandma and grandpa have the five twenty nine, and those assets aren't going to be counted on the FAFSA form. And that's true. They're, they're included at a rate of 0%. But if grandma and grandpa are really eager to pay for the first two years of school, uh, that's going to impact years three and four in terms of right. financial aid eligibility. So that's a whole other layer. Um, I think it'd make for a really good uh, scenario of the month, question of the month sometime, is to look at that and see how that's, that's applied. Um, oh, yeah. Just, a whole episode would yeah, be great whole episode on this on stuff. That, yeah. 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 Nice. Well, that, that kind of brings up the uh, the next option on this list here. They're not as popular anymore ever since 529s were introduced, but there are still quite a few of them hanging around that financial advisors run into, and that's uh, Coverdell accounts. Um, what's kind of the ruling with them and how they interact with the, uh, the credits? Well, same thing. No double dipping. Right. You just have yep. to have enough expenses to spread across the various things, but you have to avoid... The double dip. Yep, exactly. So if you use the 529 or if you use the Coverdale, because they're tax advantaged accounts, if you use them to pay for college expenses, you cannot then claim the American Opportunity Credit or the Lifetime Learning Credit on those same expenses. It's considered double dipping. It's not allowed. You're going to get uh, hammered on your tax return if you try and do that. Um, so that's another thing. When we talk about coordination rules, that's what we're talking about. It's coordinating the way we pay for college so that we don't accidentally double dip. Right. So 
if you get a question on the test or if you're just giving general advice to a client and you don't have dollar amounts, um, you can't use the any of the credits and the Coverdale or 529 at the same time uh, unless you know for a fact that they have enough college to, uh, expenses that it's enough to both cover it with the uh, the distribution and also have some leftover that they're paying out of pocket that they can use to claim the credit. Yeah, for. the one thing that I think kept Coverdale around uh, for a lot, I mean, for one, you just can't put, what is it, $2,000 total? 2000 max, yeah. So it's like, yeah. but it did have one thing that now even has been diminished, and that was the fact that Coverdale could be used for K through 12. Right. Uh, and that, that's historically what it was used for. Yeah. And and now, at least at this point in time, you can pull money out of a 529. Uh, yep. What is it, like 10000 bucks a year or something yep. like 10, that? 10000 but for tuition only. So that's For tuition only. Right. Yeah. So that's the fold. And I, and I think that brings up the real planning application for Coverdell, right? Is that if if you can use $10,000 for tuition only for K through 12 with your 529... Uh, that's all well and good. But what about the other expenses? If there are other expenses, uh, what about room or board? What about books and supplies? Uh, the Coverdell could mm-hmm. step in and it serves a purpose there. If, if there's a Coverdell out there where it could, you can have an investment vehicle that you can use for those non-tuition related expenses. You could also, if, if tuition's above and beyond that 10K mark, uh, you could use the Coverdell to above and beyond the, the $10,000 limit. Yep. Um so there's still some some viable planning application for those. So that kind of brings us uh, to the next one here. Cash is king. Uh, then this, this next one's pretty easy, but there is a little trick with it. And I'm wondering if you guys can pick up the trick I'm thinking of. $20,000 tuition gift from the grandparents. Now, it doesn't have any coordination rules with that because it's just cash. But what's the uh, the pitfall that you need to look out for when it comes to, uh, you know, cash gifts from uh from you know grandma and grandpa well you don't have to spend them on school do you not what i was going for i was more thinking of the dollar value in that if i'll give you i'll give you guys a hint uh this tuition gift is more than fifteen thousand dollars so what's the trick there there's a little well, tax so impact above yeah. the annual exclusion right yep so it's going to be gift tax unless there's two exceptions here I can think of. I want to see if you guys can pick it up. Well, if the grandparent has another spouse of or another if another grandparent is the spouse, then they can double those gifts. Yep, that was exception one I was thinking of. If they make it a gift, they can give up to $30,000, you know, $15,000 from gift, each. Yep. Or they could pay What's it, the other way? Pay it direct. Well, goes, uh, yeah, 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 direct yep. payment. Yeah. <laughs> Brendan looks shocked. He's like, I said it first. <laughs> Sorry, Brendan. I that I'm on camera still. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Brendan's just flipping Mike off here. <laughs> so yeah, those were the two exceptions I was thinking of with cash gifts. See, now, it's great. I, I didn't pick up. This is this is why I always say read the question, read the answer because I I read this as twenty thousand tuition gift from grandparents. Yeah, so but it actually says going, a grandparent. A so, grandparent. Wow. 20, from a grandparent. So it's a single grandparent. So in order for them not to pay gift tax on it, they have to pay it directly to the school. Right. Yeah. And I'm the only grandparent here. So I had honors on this one. Brandy. Yes, you did. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're out of order. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Now, going back, Adam, I, I, I want you to give us a little bit more color on this. Uh, how does Utma accounts affect the FAFSA and, uh, you know, how it affects paying for college? So it's it's a custodial account. So the the account is going to be overseen by by the parent or the custodian. Uh, but it's it's uh, for the student. It's for the benefit of the student so, or, or the, the child. And so when we look at it, they from, own it. They own it, yeah. So when we look at it from FAFSA perspective, that's that's considered an asset of the child. And um, if you if you have a whole lot in the UTMA account, and you're hoping to qualify for financial aid, uh, those rates of inclusion for for student income and assets are are pretty pretty high, uh, 20, 20 and fifty percent. So uh, if you have an UTMA account that's an asset of the student, that is is going to be accounted for on the FAFSA, and uh, if it's if it's too high, it could really increase that the the expected family contribution, uh, which is you know said in a different way is to decrease the available pool of, of financial aid. So so generally, uh, what I'm picking up is we generally want to spend the utma as soon as possible, so that at least in the later years of college, it doesn't get counted against them for future uh, future years. You could, yeah. Um, I mean, another thing to keep an eye out there, eye out for there is uh is kitty tax because any of the unearned unearned uh income that's generated from that if that goes above some certain thresholds then we're we're looking at that that kitty tax problem um so brendan in your experience how how are how are these being used planning wise these days um so so the utma is for for you know certainly for people that uh, typically when when i'm i'm seeing UTMAs, it's not people that are going to qualify in any shape or form for financial aid anyway. Um, and, and so the UTMA accounts, I think, are uh, intended to give the child, um, you know, some some leg up in either buying a house or starting an investment account. But, you know, people will typically steer towards the 529 funds for their, uh, for the college funding purposes. Yeah. I, I feel that too. Uh, UTMAs tend to be a uh, you know a wealthy family uh, account. You know, people who are qualifying for the AOC and the LLC probably aren't having a UTMA. Right. Um, and when they do get set up instead of a five twenty nine, it's usually in that we don't necessarily think our kids going to be college material. So we want to help them out in other ways because the UTMA has the benefit of not being forced to be used for college. Sure. And it it affords the ability to hold almost any asset. It's not as Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Like real estate, real estate. I I ran into a question on that on the exam where uh, it was between a 529 and an UTMA. And everyone always chooses the 529 for this question because it's kind of like inbred in us at this point to just always go for the 529. But the question said the father was a, you know, diehard investor who really wanted full control over the assets and wanted to be able to choose his securities and for that reason, you, you would want to go with an UTMA because with a 529, you can only do the very restricted um, uh, uh, mutual funds right. that not only not only just mutual funds, but specifically the mutual funds that that 529 offers. Right. Exactly. Correct. Yeah. Right. Well, just to wrap it up here for our answer for those, uh, I know we threw a lot of information there, so it was kind of hard to follow along. But the correct answer was the American Opportunity Credit a $20,000 tuition gift from a grandparent, 
and the Utma account. That is the correct answer because A, it doesn't double up on the credits. It's just the American Opportunity credit, not the LLC. Uh, the $20,000 tuition gift from the grandparent is just independent. And then also the Utma account is independent, which is why it allows us to use all three of those in this scenario. Good deal. All right. Awesome stuff, guys. Uh, I think that was a great time. Uh, We talked about a lot. I hope our listeners enjoyed it. I know I did. And I'll uh, see you guys all next month. Yeah, we'll see you next month. Stay safe. All right, guys. Thanks. Thank you.